Whether the action is at the link or the bank, there's never an off day on Broad Street. It's the biggest news of the day, every day, with takes from someone who's never short on them. It's WIP Daily with Joe Giglio. Welcome on in WIP Daily. Joe Giglio with you. Reacting to the NBA postseason, which, I mean, th- these series might be over. And, like, the, by the time you watch this, we might be on the verge of the NBA Finals between the Nuggets and the Heat. No one saw this coming. Obviously, a lot of this uh, affects the Sixers both now and the future. A lot to get to. I want to talk about things we've learned from this NBA postseason, really how it could help the Sixers. They try to finally build a title contender here. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Of course, follow the show wherever you get your podcast, WIP Daily, and, of course, watching the feed here on the 94 WIP YouTube page. And Tucker's with me. He'll jump on in a couple minutes here to talk about what he's feeling watching these playoffs. But you know, four things are standing out to me that like I feel like we've learned from the NBA postseason this year. And every year in every sport, there's you know there's kind of lessons in the postseason that I, I think could kind of manifest itself moving forward. Like, all right, this is what we learned. Now what? And one of them, and I, and I, I think we probably need to see a little bit more evidence on this before it's like fully there, but it certainly feels like it's it's you know pretty much there. You know, the NBA was the one season where the regular season was predictive almost always of the postseason. You know, number one seeds, number two seeds, that's who won the championship. You know, almost without fail. And every once in a while, there was a team, you know, I go back to the 95 Rockets or something, whether it was injuries or it was, Kind of a weird year, but they were already champions. So you kind of you kind of knew. Or the Warriors, maybe last year, right? Like teams that already have been champions, they could kind of buck the trend. But for the most part, NBA champions and and the way the bracket goes in the NBA playoffs has stayed pretty darn steady. Which is the best teams are the best teams, and they have home court and they roll throughout. And this year is not that year. I mean, if with the Celtics down 0-3. The top three teams in the NBA by record, Bucks, Celtics, and, and the Sixers, are all not going to win the title. I mean, there you go. Yes, the number one team in the West, the Nuggets, is rolling up 3-0 as we speak right now and probably going to be in the finals and be the favorite to win it. But, of course, we have now the eight-seed Heat, who are about to go to the finals, and we have a seven-seed Lakers who made it to the Western Conference Finals. I think we've reached a point now where we could say the NBA regular season is no longer predictive. I, I think this is – it's kind of a twofold thing. One, this was probably building that way for a while where teams just don't take it that seriously anymore, that they don't feel like home court matters that much anymore, where they could go win a game six or seven, whatever, on the road. And it's not like daunting. Well, back in the day, it used to be like, well, you got to get home court. You got to fight that way for home court. Now, I don't think teams think of it that way. So they're not fighting tooth and nail. You add in load management. You add in sports science where teams are resting players back to backs. Like, it's just not thought of as it mattering as much anymore. So I, I think as we project this out or for the Sixers, as they build a team specifically, if they keep Joel Embiid and try to run it back with him, th- that has to be taken into consideration. Like it's not about the regular season. Doesn't matter. We haven't yet reached hockey level here or baseball level where it really doesn't matter. We're probably, you know, it's probably in terms of, does it matter? Hockey one baseball two, and, and it used to be football and at basketball, like they mattered. They, they were more predictive. The number one seed in the NFL, the bye week, whatever. Same thing with the NBA. It, it's it's moving away though. Like basketball is moving way more towards hockey and baseball in the just get in. Just, look what the Heat did. Just get in. That's the first thing that stood out to me. Just just get in. 
and it doesn't matter anymore. The NBA regular season being predictive is is dying. I mean, that that's it's so obvious watching this because it hasn't mattered. I mean, the Heat may win the whole thing. They're an eight seed. They were down 11 points in a play-in game, and here they are up 3-0. Um, the other thing that stood out to me is, is coaching, and I think NBA coaching, it, it tends to be one of those things where unless you have a great coach, an Eric Spolstra, uh, a Greg Popovich, a Phil Jackson, you know, we go down the line of the great coaches we've had over the last you know, 20, 30 years or whatever. Um, we, we just tend to pretend it doesn't matter at all, but it does. I, I think Mike Ballone's done a nice job in Denver. Um, I thought Joe, I think Joe Missoula is actually holding back Boston. I thought that in the series they were they beat the Sixers. I thought uh, Missoula was terrible until he made the adjustment in game six to put Robert Williams in. He almost did nothing right. In the game, I think Joe Missoula is a negative for the, for the Celtics. I mean, you watch that series against the Heat, and it's like the Heat make two shots. You know, I mean, the, the Celtics make – Two shots to cut a lead that he'd have from like, you know, 14 to eight or nine. And boom, timeout, Spolstra. He's calming everyone down and he's got everyone back on the same page. Meanwhile, Joe Missoula, I think it was game one or game two in Boston in this series. I mean, the, the Heat went on a run where they scored 40 something points in a quarter. He didn't take a timeout. He's just standing there. I mean, Joe Missoula, look, he, he's young. He may end up a good NBA coach. He's not a good NBA coach right now. I felt that last round watching him against Doc Rivers in the, in the Sixers. He's just not a good coach, and he's costing his team. So the, the in-game coaching in the NBA playoffs matters more than I think we give it credit for. Um, I'm not saying it's it's you know it makes what the Sixers did, canning Doc Rivers, maybe you feel better, I guess, a little bit if they get a, a good tactician, but it matters. We can't pretend it doesn't matter. Like wins and losses, it's not football. They don't. The scheme isn't the same. It's not like that. But you've seen in this postseason, coaching really can matter. And Eric Spolster is putting a, a just stamp on that. And on the other side, I mean, we, we may look back one day and say Spolster against Missoula was one of the biggest coaching mismatches ever. I mean, in, in the NBA postseason. I mean, that, that's how he's running circles around him. Circles. And that's why, and part of the reason why, the Heat are up 3-0. I mean, they're just dominating in that realm. You know, the regular season not mattering is, is, is so obvious now at this point. Coaching really mattering when the playoffs start is also uh, mattering a lot. And the other thing, and um, I'm curious what Tucker thinks on this, because the Sixers have big decisions to make on James Harden and and everything they're going to do here. But one thing I, I've thought about a lot in this postseason is how much continuity matters. And I think about the two teams that are right now look like they're, if not locks, you know, destined to play in the NBA Finals. They're on the verge of playing in the NBA Finals with the Nuggets and with the and with the Miami Heat. And the word I come to is continuity. I, I think we're reaching the point where the put a team together on the fly era is over in the NBA. It, it was it was brief. Um, it was gigantic. Obviously, it was about a decade long player empowerment. We're going to team up two or three stars. And in some cases, it worked. Like the Miami Heat obviously was a success for trips to the finals, two titles. I would say it seemed like the Clippers has been a disaster, right? Like they haven't got to the finals and I don't think they're close, you know, with Kawhi and, and Paul George and all that. But I really think continuity matters. Look at the way the Miami Heat play. That's a team that is, is played together a lot of basketball. And they've added some pieces, like Kyle Lowry they added a couple of years ago. But undrafted guys, you could tell like they, they got run and practice together. And, they, and they, it all kind of revolves around Jimmy Butler. But it's it's a culture. It's a scheme. It's It's – it almost reminds you of a college program where it's like the example I'll give is almost like Tom Izzo's Michigan State. 
They roll in a group of freshmen. They stay for four years. And by the end, they're probably in the final four. That's Miami. There's continuity there. And then I think about the Nuggets. The Nuggets drafted and developed basically all their players. Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter. It's a drafted and developed team. It's not a team that was free agents. Uh, I think Murray was probably their highest picked player. I guess, you know, Aaron Gordon they acquired, and he was a highly picked player in the lottery for the Magic, you know, all those years ago. But there are three guys, right? Like you think about their three drafted guys, Nikola Jokic, second round pick, Jamal Murray, like the sixth or seventh pick in the draft, Michael Porter, middle of the first round. Like they drafted and developed players. Mike Malone was telling a story the other day about how when Murray hurt his knee a couple of years ago, he was all upset and frustrated and, and emotional. And he said, you know, I'm damaged goods. You guys are going to trade me. And Mike Malone said, no, you're our guy. You're one of our guys. And we just, we got away from that in the NBA for so long where it just felt like, well, that stuff's just, yeah, that's Harry high school stuff. Just go get the best players, you know, put a team together on the fly, like an all-star team and go win. There's something to this, and, and I wonder for the sick from the Sixers' perspective, they they've evolved the roster a lot over the last five years, constantly going after the big fish and trying to do this, trying to do that. I wonder if there's some value, and I'm not sure what it means exactly for a specific player. I'm not saying well, you got to give James Harden 200 million because of continuity, but there's something to the continuity of the Heat and the Nuggets. Tucker, I think we've got to the point where the idea of teams just putting together stars on the fly and saying we're going to go win a title. I think it might be dead. Like there's real cohesion when you watch the Heat and the Nuggets. Other teams don't have that. Yeah, and and I think the other big thing is you kind of look at the Sixers and the way the whole process began. It was to to, to borrow Brett Brown's term, well, it was to star hunt, right? Like they're looking for two, three All NBA players that they could put together, and, and that's kind of how you won a decade ago. When you look at a team like the Miami Heat, the way the the Golden State Warriors were put together, although that team was built internally until they got um Kevin Durant but you kind of look at it now and you're right like it is continuity and it's kind of a throwback to the way teams were maybe 20 25 years ago before the Lakers kind of put Shaq and Kobe together and, and then you know Boston kind of took it to the extreme with their big three but you don't see teams doing that anymore like Jamal Murray is great but it's not first team all NBA and you know they're a team built around one superstar you look at the Miami Heat and what they're doing and they're built around Jimmy Butler and, you know, eight or nine un undrafted free agents plus Bam Adebayo. And the way the Sixers have kind of built this team, the way this process has taken so long, they're almost antiquated now. Like, like, like they're built like a team that was built to win five, six, seven years ago when, when they started this, this entire situation. And you look at what Miami's been able to do. You look at what Denver's been able to do, you know, against teams like Los Angeles, who was built on the fly, right? Like they completely remade their roster at the trade deadline. Think about what Phoenix did when they brought in Kevin Durant and completely rebuilt their team around him midway through the season. Denver dispatched both of them. And obviously they still have one more game to get through against Los Angeles, but those were two teams that everyone looked at and said, man, they're going to have a tough time against those guys. And they had no issue uh, against either one of those teams. And I look at what Miami is able to do. And honestly, it makes me sick. Like, I think we all kind of rationalized the Sixers losing to the Celtics and said, well, you know, they are a better team. Even though I think we felt maybe a little different earlier on in the series, the prevailing sentiment by the end was, well, even though they quit, even though they looked terrible, the Celtics were a better team. There may be no shame in losing them. Watching them get blown out last night, it made me feel the complete opposite. Like the Celtics aren't any good. And if they made the Sixers look like absolute frauds a week ago, beating them by by 30 and running them out of the TD garden. 
and Miami's doing the same to them. Like, like how far away are the Sixers now? And, and if we want to talk about running it back and bringing back James Harden, I saw a report yesterday that there are people in the NBA who expect him to get a four-year, $200 million contract, which no, no thanks. But if that's what they're going to do and they're going to run it back, you are so far behind the eight ball. If you looked like that against the Celtics in the semifinals and the Celtics look like this against the Heat, you aren't even close. Well, they're not. No, you're right. They're not close. Um, and I saw that report too, which was just bananas. $200 million for James Harden over four years. Like, you know, there are fireable offenses in every walk of life. Like any, whatever your job is, if you do something, you can get fired. $200 million or four years for James Harden at this point of his career, that, that should be a fireable offense. But um, Tucker's right. That that heat situation and what they're doing to sit the Celtics, it, it just like makes you feel like crap watching it. Like, man, because, you know, I think when the series ended, there was a feel like, oh, the Sixers blew an opportunity to win the finals or go to the finals. And maybe instead it was just two really flawed teams playing each other. And it happened to be the Celtics, you know, moving on that series. The last lesson that I've learned, and, and this I've been thinking about for a few years, but it continues to be cemented. And I don't think it's good for the game. I really don't think it's good for the product, for the sport, for people watching it, for fans. It's just a three-point shooting contest. That's basketball now. It, and I, if I sound like an old man yelling on my lawn, that's fine. That's, that's the NBA. I'm telling you, if you go back through every box score throughout the NBA playoffs, every single one, I would guess, and I, I looked this morning, so I know it's the last five or six days, right, of, of these games within the Eastern Western Conference Finals. I would guess if you go back, you can't find many, maybe a few, maybe a couple outliers, but you can't find many games where the winner of the game didn't handily win in either three-pointers made or efficiency. That's the game. It's the game in the regular season. It's the game in the postseason. And I think it leads to a lot of these lopsided games where, you know, we want nail biters. Like we want the game to come down to the last few seconds. And there's been a few here and there in the NBA playoffs, but I think the is the low is the smallest margin of victory in the conference finals so far six points, more like 10, 12, 20, whatever. A lot of blowouts, a lot of games that just get lopsided fast. Like last night, Heat and the Celtics. I mean, that's a must-win game for the Celtics. Well, Heat shot the lights out. See you guys. It's over. I mean, it's just, it feels like sometimes watching a home run derby. It just, it just feels like well, who's, or a three point shooting contest. Like who's going to hit the most threes? Well, they're going to win tonight. And I know there's variables and defense and fast breaks and all that. And like, it leads to easier threes. I, I get it. Like it's a chicken or the egg thing. Well, obviously if you play poor defense and you allow open threes, they're going to make more. I get that. That's on the team that's getting rocked. But we NBA playoff games, I felt like for 25 years, I watched them especially as the, it went on, right? Like it, the, the seeds got closer, the bigger games, you know, higher stakes, conference finals, finals. They were close games. Like they were usually close basketball games that were nail biters. And now because of the three-point shooting, one team gets hot, one team gets cold. It can't be close. It's just, it's math. Can't be close. So that continues to stand out. If you're going to win, you got to win the three-point shooting contest. That is it. So a lot of lessons learned for the playoffs here so far. The Heat and the Nuggets on the verge of playing in the finals. Unbelievable. Appreciate everyone listening. Follow the podcast wherever you get your podcast at WIP Daily. And, of course, on the YouTube page for 94 WIP, we'll do the podcast a couple times a week live with video with Tucker Bagley. Thank you for listening. We'll talk soon on WIP Daily.